Good morning. And please turn with me in your Bibles to James, the Epistle of James, the fourth chapter and the seventh verse. We'll just be using this as our memory verse, our text. Uh, hopefully you can commit it to memory. It's if you have not already, it's a, a well-known Bible verse. I want to express my appreciation to Brother Philip for inviting me. That a, a, shows a great deal of trust to uh, let another man occupy your pulpit because it means you have confidence that he's, you know, that he's not going to be preaching something that's going to be. Uh, something less than the biblical truth. So I appreciate Brother Phillips' uh, trust in me. I, uh, I pray for his quick recovery, and, and it sounds like he has had a quick recovery, so praise God for already answered prayer. Uh, you know, the old story about whether or not we believe our prayers are going to be answered. Down in Texas, uh, I've only spent one one night in Texas, and that was in the airport, and uh, I didn't like it. Uh, story on that was I I was going to uh, from Kansas City to uh, Dallas Fort Worth Airport to uh, catch a flight to Beijing, China, and we spent two hours sitting on the tarmac in Kansas City and I missed my connecting flight and had to spend the night in in the airport uh, and, and I always remember right now uh, the temperature in this church for me is just about right they had that they had that the air conditioning in that airport so cranked up, it was like spending the night in a meat locker. Uh, and so that's all I know about Texas. But I heard this story about Baptists down in Texas, a lot of Baptists in Texas, good Bible-believing folk, and uh, there was a drought, which I think there's always a drought in Texas, but uh, so I hear, like I said, never must have been there. Uh, and they decided to have a prayer meeting on the subject and pray for rain. And you've probably heard this story. It's a good old Baptist story. The people prayed and prayed for rain, but only one old gal showed up with her umbrella. So, so we've, we've prayed and prayed for Brother Philip. We ought not be surprised that he's made a speedy recovery. Well, we generally are when prayers get answered. What, you know, what, what about that? Okay, by now, if you're ever going to, you have found our verse for today. Put on these glasses. They look like something Ben Franklin would have uh, invented. James, the fourth chapter, and the seventh verse. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. 
Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. May the Lord richly bless this reading and hearing of his word. We take our text this morning from the book of James. And the book of James, at least in my ministry, has been a book that is seldom uh, visited for some reason. Uh, It's not as popular maybe as some of the other books of the New Testament, and yet it has so much in it. To begin with, we need to understand who James was. James, back in those days, just like today, was a fairly common name. Uh, There's more than one James in the Bible, and that might cause you some confusion. Just like uh, we know more than one James perhaps today, you know, we might call him Jim, but James is a fairly common name today, and it was a fairly common name then. We have James of James and John, the two brothers, the sons of Zebedee, who Jesus referred to as the sons of thunder, because, you know, try sons of try saying that three times fast. The sons of thunder. Yep, simply because they were so loud. And their mother was the one who asked Jesus, you know, he said, will you do whatever I ask you to? Well, you need to be a little careful when somebody, what are you going to ask me? And she said that my sons, when you come into your kingdom, might one sit on your right and the other sit on your left. In other words, that my sons be your chief advisors, as if Jesus needs anyone to advise him. So that's one James, the James of James and John. He was eventually, during the persecution, slain by Herod. Uh, James, the son of John, son, the brother of John, was slain by Herod, and in that same incident, Peter was put in prison. And you remember that story. Now Peter, uh, Peter was the greatest sleeper there ever was. Every time you see him, he's he's sleeping. Uh, he went to sleep in the prison. He wasn't worried about them cutting off his head the next morning. If that happened, that happened. It would only send him straight to heaven. And he wanted to go there anyway. But it wasn't God's time for him to go there. And the Lord sent an angel, and Peter was so sound asleep that the angel had to poke him in the side to get him up. And and you remember that story, how the chains fell off, how his guards remained asleep, and the door opened just of its own accord. And here's another story where people were surprised when uh, they got their prayers answered. Peter then went that night, you know, out of prison, didn't have any place else to go, uh, went to where they were having a prayer meeting to get him out of prison. And you remember the little girl answered the, the door, and she went back and said, it's Peter at the door. And they said, no, it couldn't be. And, and finally, they said, well, it must be his ghost, because he's already had his head chopped off. Because it couldn't be him, they wouldn't believe. But it was him. So you remember that story. And then there's another James, and we know very little about him. There's a James called James the Lesser, and all we know about him is that he is in the list of 
the apostles. He's one of them. What he did, we don't know. The Bible does not see fit to record anything he may or may not have done. And then there is James of this book, the author of the general epistle. That means by general epistle that it was to be circulated among all the churches. You know, we have the book of, shall we say, Romans. That was just to be shared with, although obviously it's been shared with us today, that was to go to the Christians in Rome. The book of Ephesians, that was to go to the Christians in Ephesus. But we have what's called the general epistle of James, and that was to be circulated. And this James is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. Now, I emphasize the fact that it's the half-brother. And, and sometimes I've heard uh, people say just the brother of the Lord Jesus, and they're not trying to be disrespectful, or it isn't that they don't necessarily believe, although sometimes case, but they they feel that somehow the term half-brother is a little bit clumsy, and so they just say the brother. But I want to emphasize that he is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, because while they shared the mother, and that was, of course, Mary, Mary of Nazareth, while they shared the same mother, the father of the Lord Jesus was, of course, God. And I'm not going to try to explain or try to understand because it's, it's beyond my comprehension. I'm not going to try to explain or understand how there could be a virgin birth. I just accepted that there was. I cannot explain or understand how the Lord Jesus, although I don't know that the name Jesus would have applied, I, but we will say the Lord Jesus. I don't know how God the Son or the Lord Jesus, I don't know how he existed throughout all eternity. We just know that the book of John begins with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the word was God. And if anybody wants to argue with you and say that the, the Trinity does not appear in the Bible, I will say that no, the word Trinity, it's a Latin word, does not appear within the Bible. But we have this in the book, not of the Gospel of John, but in 1 John, we have this recorded, that there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Spirit. And these three are one. How is that possible? To my little pea brain, it, it, it's not comprehensible. I simply know that the Bible says it, and by faith, I accept it. I've, I've heard all kinds of attempts to explain the Trinity. One of them is that uh, you have 
water, and water can be liquid, water can be steam, or water can be ice. Well, that's true, but that does not comprehend the Trinity. If water could be liquid and steam and ice all at the same time, that might come close to explaining what the Trinity's like. But that's not possible. You know, you have it at separate times, at separate conditions. And so all I can say is that we have the Son of God existing with God throughout all eternity. So, we see that Jesus was born of Mary, and then Mary and Joseph together had other children. And if you want to look that up, that's our, I, I simply, and I don't say this because I seek a, a quarrel with anyone or with any group. But our Catholic friends do not believe this. They don't believe that they're, that Mary and Joseph had any children together. They, they believe that Mary remained a perpetual virgin. And all I can say, you know, in my Ray County accent, is that ain't what the good book says. <laughs> uh, we have Matthew, the 13th chapter, and I believe about the 54th verse, where we see the, the folks back at Nazareth saying, isn't this the carpenter's son? And isn't his mother named Mary? And aren't his brothers and sisters? And they name the, uh, they name the brothers, but they don't name the sisters. But aren't his brothers and sisters with us even to this day? You know, how is he doing all this? And it was difficult for them to believe, and many didn't believe, because to them, this was just Joseph's son, and they didn't realize that he was the son of God. And so, we need to realize here that while James was the half-brother, and I emphasize that, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, that they didn't have the same father. At, at least not in the sense we might think. Now, I will also go on to say this. If you're saved, and I've, I've been in enough Baptist churches to expect that I'm preaching to a 100% saved crowd. It's hard enough to get the Christians to church on Sunday morning without uh, talking about the law. But if you're saved, then yes, God is your Father. Not in the same way with Jesus. Jesus was the only, only begotten Son. You know, that's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, you want to talk about an embarrassing situation. Uh, I was a little past 50 years old, so uh, you men, this is kind of a man's condition. You men might know a thing called mind mush. You get a little older, and you get senior moments. I was preaching along 
doing fine, at least in my own mind. And I was going to say John 3.16, and just like that, I couldn't remember it. Now that's that's a condition of the of the human male, past fifty years old, known as mind mush. And, and I had to say, "Oh, come on, folks, help me out here!" Yeah. So Jesus is the only begotten Son. We are the adopted sons and daughters. And and so. I emphasize this just so we will realize that we have the Son of God here, and this is his half-brother who became the head of the church, the pastor of the church, in Jerusalem, and his name was James. And he wrote this book. Now, he wrote this book, and there are some things in here that, that help balance things out. We believe in grace. And we believe that we're saved by grace. But James also reminds us of works. It's James that tells us that faith without works is dead, being alone. You see, you when we sin, and we all do, and it's different things. Your your sin might not be my sin, and my sin might not be your sin. Uh, maybe my sin, and this is my, my dear wife, she's gone on to heaven, but was always reminding me. And it's always, it's always good to have a husband or a wife who can remind you of your faults. Uh, my dear wife would remind me about worrying, that, that worrying was my sin. And she, I would be upset about something, and she said, you preach all the time. You preach all the time to not worry about tomorrow, to let tomorrow take care of itself, and here you're all worried about this. Well, that's my sin. and. A sin, simply you might say all sin is defined as a lack of faith in God. You don't really believe that God's going to do what he said. We look at Adam and Eve, and what did they do? They believed the devil and didn't believe that God really had their best interests in mind. They believed that somehow God was holding out on them rather than really loving them. But that's how it is. We, we do this or we do that because we don't think God really can take care of us. And so we look at the words that go along with faith. The works that tell us that we're genuinely saved. Uh, we're supposed to be different as Christians. You see, grace, salvation by grace through faith, that's the roots of our salvation. But our works, 
are the fruits of our salvation. I had a boy in China. He was a Muslim. There are many Muslims in China. It's probably, there's uh, about 50 billion, you know, I didn't count them, although I'm told there are about 50 million Christians in China and about 50 million Muslims. And, and the rest are either communists or they are traditionalists. They, traditionalists would be mostly what we would call ancestor worshipers. But, uh, and I love the Chinese. <laughs> and I know God loves the Chinese because he made so many of them. Uh, But a boy in China came up to me, and uh, he he said, Dennis, he knew I, of course, he knew I was a Christian. Uh, the fact that I have round eyes, and he, I mean, and they wouldn't, you know, they would just assume it. The fact that I have round eyes, uh, to them, they would think all round-eyed people are Christians. And, you know, they would just assume, in other words, any American is going to be a Christian, they would think. A uh, boy came up to me and said, Dennis, the, the Muslim says, you don't hit me and I won't hit you. But Christians say, you hit me and I'll turn the other cheek. Now his point was that Islam, the Muslim faith, was superior to Christianity because it made more sense. And to the world's mind, in the flesh, that does make more sense. We read about the foolishness of the gospel, and it is foolishness to those who perish. But really what he was saying was that we as Christians, we have a higher standard. Anybody's going to hit back in the flesh, but it takes belief that God's going to take care of us to turn the other cheek. So we as Christians, we have a different, we have a different standard. And that's the standard that God has given. And, and it isn't that we sometimes how make the decision just to be very good. It's that God gives us the ability in the new nature, in the redeemed nature. Now, I want to get into that, and I want to make three points, and then I'm going to let you go. I, I see some people who aren't as comfortable as I am, even in my suit, I see fans going. Back at Rock Falls, we had the most beautiful fans. The Gowing Funeral Home, Rock Falls Church I grew up in. The Gowing Funeral Home provided those fans. The funeral home either was or is, I don't know if it still exists, in Orange. And uh, we had the nicest fans. We had, and this may be the first girl I ever had a crush on. We had a fan that had a picture of a beautiful blonde angel escorting two children across a rickety bridge. Now, I, I, never, I, I never stopped to wonder where those kids' parents, why they're letting them 
but that I, I really fell for that angel. She looked like, kind of like a young Dolly Parton. Uh, but be that as it may, you know, my dad, uh, he was a good man. But there were people who were glad, I think, to see him go on to heaven. Because dad was a deacon, and he resisted Rock Falls getting air conditioning right up until the day he died. <clears throat> you know, he, you know, he felt like if if our house didn't need it, God's house didn't need it. But but we look at three things. First of all, I want to talk about the power power of prayer. If we don't have anything else, maybe for one reason or another you don't have your Bible with you. You know, mine's kind of heavy to carry around anyway. It's uh, it's large print, and yeah, I, I need it. I use these, even with the large print. But no matter what the circumstance, we can always pray. We look at Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. You know, Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail ain't got no body to go their bail. And yet they sung at night and they worshiped God even at midnight in the darkest corner of the dungeon. The Bible says that they were shut up in the innermost part of that prison. It was dark, it was dirty, it was damp, it was gloomy, and yet they praised God. So we can always praise and we can always pray, and there is power in prayer. And the Bible says... I broke a watch once thumping on the pulpit. The Bible says that if we resist the devil, he's going to flee from us. We we think of uh, you know probably the best known theologian of the 20th century was C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said that there were two mistakes Christians made or people, not necessarily Christians, that people made with the devil. One was to not believe he existed at all, that, that he was just a, a myth. And the other was to put too much emphasis on him. Now, I would just, uh, if I was a betting man, I would bet a uh, a wooden nickel that everybody in here believes in the devil. If you've had any life experience at all, you know that there's such a critter as the devil. Now, not only that, now we think about the devil. He's he's not everywhere like God is everywhere, but he's very very fast. He doesn't know everything like God knows everything, but he's very, very smart. And he has untold 
thousands of minions who go about doing his will. So, we look, you don't have to do much more than just look at the evening news to know there's a devil. But we maybe make the mistake of ascribing too much strength to him. We maybe make the mistake, well, I remember back in the 70s, and anyone old enough to remember the 70s besides me? I remember back in the 70s, there were a bunch of movies that really emphasized the devil. It started with The Exorcist. Now, I didn't watch any of them. It started with The Exorcist, and then there was one called The Omen, and then there was one called Rosemary's Baby. And, and all of them had the devil as big and bad and, and powerful. I, I remember I was sitting in a pastor's office, one of my friends, just chewing the fat. And one of his church members came in and said, Pastor, I watched a movie called The, the Omen on television last night, and I was so scared I couldn't sleep all night. And he asked the question that I wanted to ask. She, he wasn't one of my, you know, she wasn't one of my flock, so she wasn't my problem. But he asked the question, then why did you watch it? So we think of all those things that in a sense glorify the devil and we think maybe that God and the devil are in a wrestling match and sometimes the devil's on top and sometimes God's on top but nothing could be further from the truth Satan is an already defeated enemy it, it's not that we're waiting for it to happen it is that it happened on the cross it happened when the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. It happened when Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. The devil is completely whipped, and it's not a matter that he just says, ah, forget it, and, and walks casually away from it. He flees from us. He's the one who's on the run from us. We shouldn't be on the run from him because we have the power. And that power, one source of it, is through prayer. That's why the Bible says, pray without ceasing. That's why Jesus taught a parable that was for the reason that men ought always to pray and faint not. And then because we have the power, we have the peace that passes understanding. We look at this world, and maybe some people think we ought to be scared to death. And maybe some of us are. But that's not right. That's not how we should be. The fact of the matter is, we have a peace that the world cannot understand. We, you look at the crime, you look at this, you look at that. Whatever you want to talk about. You look at the evil in the world, and somebody says, why aren't you scared to death? Well, it's because we have the peace that passes understanding. It's because we know. It just goes back to the fact that the devil's a defeated and We know who's going to turn out. No, I should 
I misspoke. Not who's going to turn out, but who has already turned out on top. That we, that it's our Father, that it's our brother, that it's our Lord who has already defeated the world. And then, because of this, we have the patience of perseverance. In other words, we can stand firm. Paul says, when we get through putting on the armor of God, having done all to stand, once you've done everything you can do, then stand. Once you've done everything you can do, don't fret. Just let God take it from there. Let go and let God. So, I hope that this will remind you that we have well, we have a Father in heaven. And we have a Savior who has overcome the world. We have we have right now a lot of conflict with Muslims. I, I want to say that the Muslims in China were entirely kind to me. But the problem with the Muslims, the problem with the Buddhists, or whoever else you want to name, as far as religions go. Maybe I I haven't read, I haven't really read the Koran, and I haven't read the sayings of the Buddha. Maybe they have some good advice there. I don't know. Maybe Confucius has good advice for the Chinese people. But we have something more than good advice. Now there's good advice in the Bible. But more than that, we have the Word. And more than that, we have a Savior. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us power. Power over the world and power over the prince of this world who is the devil. The Lord, we simply ask that we might walk in the confidence of this knowledge. In Jesus' name, amen.